Hello, uh, everyone. My name is uh, Geert van den Bosch. Uh, I am a vaccinologist. I worked for many, many years in the vaccine uh, industry. I was uh, trained as uh, a virologist and uh, worked for many years, uh, not only in the vaccine industry, but also in the vaccine business uh, with, for example, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and also Gavi, uh, these uh, global health uh, organizations. And today I'm talking to you because it is about your children. And I'm really begging you, I'm begging you to not vaccinate your children against COVID-19. And I will explain you why. I will do my very best to explain you why this would be dramatic. And I'm not even going to talk about the fact that there is no need to use uh, children uh, to vaccinate children against COVID-19, that there is too many and too dangerous side effects. Now, I'm go going to talk about the impact of these vaccines on the immune system of your children. I'm not exaggerating when I'm telling you that this could be a death sentence for the child. And so let me explain how these vaccines are going to compromise the innate immune system of your child. Well, first of all, and these are facts and data that you can check, we never ever use any viral vaccine other than life attenuated vaccines during childhood. We never use any other vaccine than live attenuated viruses during childhood. We don't do that, and you can check this. And this has a good reason. What is the reason? This all has to do with the innate antibodies in the child. The child is equipped with a special kind of antibodies that we call innate antibodies. And those antibodies only last for some time during child childhood, and after that they disappear. These innate antibodies have an incredible important function because they will help the child to kick off its own immune system because the mother after birth do, does no longer care about this. So the child needs to kick it off. And it can only kick it off properly thanks to the innate antibodies. The innate antibodies, what do they do? Well, first of all, the innate antibodies are capable of neutralizing the virus and not only SARS-CoV-2, but many other viruses. So that is one thing. It broadly neutralizes viruses. But then even more importantly, by binding, by binding to the live virus, live viruses that are around. Eh? People are exposed all the time to certain viruses, etc. By binding to these live viruses, the child will be able, the innate immune system of the child will be able to educate and to give the right instructions to the innate immune system to recognize not only the virus it has been confronted with, but also many other viruses. 
And that is going to be important because I told you the innate antibodies over time are going to disappear. So the innate immune system needs to be instructed, needs to be educated in a way that it can still recognize this virus for later on in life when these innate antibodies are no longer there and also a panoply of other viruses. But that's not everything. On top, these innate antibodies will, by binding to viruses, by binding to viruses, these innate antibodies will prevent your innate immune system from recognizing self-components. These are components of the child's own body that shouldn't be recognized. And that is part of the kickoff of the naive innate immune system of the child is first of all, being able to neutralize the virus, being able to educate the innate immune system to recognize many other viruses, including the virus it has been confronted with for when the antibodies, the innate antibodies are no longer there and to prevent the innate immune system from recognizing own components of the body. So that means that it is critical these innate antibodies have a critical role by binding to live viruses in educating the innate immune system. So what happens when you vaccinate your child? When you're going to vac vaccinate your child, you're going to induce, or the vaccine is going to induce antibodies that will strongly bind to the virus. They will strongly bind and they will outcompete the innate antibodies. So in other words, the innate antibodies will now no longer be able to bind to the virus. However, this binding to the virus of the vaccine-induced antibodies is completely useless. Why? Well, we all know that the vaccinal antibodies do no longer neutralize the circulating variants. The neutralization is gone. The virus has become resistant, largely resistant to these neutralizing antibodies. So they can no longer prevent the infection by the virus. It's even worse. By binding to the virus, these vaccinal antibodies will even increase the infectiousness of the virus. And I'm sure that some of you have already heard about antibody-dependent enhancement of infection. That's exactly what is non-neutralizing vaccinal antibodies are going to do. But secondarily, since they prevent the innate antibodies from binding to the virus, they're also going to prevent the innate immune system from being educated to recognize other viruses and also the virus it has been confronted with, for example, during the pandemic, SARS-CoV-2. And that education, as I just said, is critical to make sure that these viruses and many other viruses can still be recognized later on in life when the innate antibodies are no longer there. Thirdly, by preventing the innate antibodies to bind to live viruses because they are outcompeted by the vaccinal antibodies, now you're going to allow the innate immune system to recognize self-components. That will, of course, lead to immune pathology, to autoreactivity, to 
immune reactions that attack the components of the body. So the beneficial effects that can only be induced by binding of live virus to the innate antibodies. So that is the reason why during childhood we only administer live attenuated vaccines to children. We only administer vaccines, in other words, that contain virus that is capable of replicating. The, none of the COVID-19 vaccines is capable of doing this. And the uh, problem is, of course, that these vaccines induce antibodies that, first of all, as I explained, will strongly bind to the virus, will strongly outcompete the innate antibodies because their binding strength is much longer, much stronger. That has to do with affinity. But also these antibodies will persist for a long time. Why? Because once you're vaccinated, you will be boosted all the time, not by other vaccines, but by the circulating variant. Omicron is circulating like hell. It will boost these antibodies all the time. So these antibody titers will remain high all the time and will outcompete the innate antibodies, uh, you know, almost like continuously. So this means that the innate immune system of the child can simply no longer be educated, no longer be instructed. And that is irreversible. Think about this, this is irreversible and very, very serious. So now you're gonna tell me, well, but there are some children that get severe disease. So we need to vaccinate them. I am not denying that some of the children right now are getting severe disease. I will explain you that if you vaccinate them, if you vaccinate children, it's going to become thousand times worse. Why do unvaccinated children from time to time get severe disease? I will explain you. I told you already that children are very well protected by their innate antibodies at the, the early days of life during childhood. But from time to time, from so they develop what we call asymptomatic infection. They will get infected, but they don't show symptoms or maybe a little bit mild, mild illness. But as a consequence of this asymptomatic infection, children can sometimes, sometimes, not all of them, sometimes they can develop antibodies that resemble a little bit the vaccinal antibodies that are also specific, but these antibodies are not long-lived. They are short-lived. They disappear after six or eight weeks. And in contrast also to the vaccinal antibodies, their concentrations and their titers are low. Nevertheless, nevertheless, when a child gets reinfected, re-exposed to the virus, during the six or eight weeks that this child is sitting on these low titers of antibodies that result from previous infection, well, during that time, the innate immune response, as I explained to you, can be suppressed 
because even these antibodies that bind, you know, only for a few weeks with low titers, they can, of course, outcompete your innate antibodies. It's going to be transient. But when the reinfection happens during the six or eight weeks, then your child becomes very vulnerable because its innate immune response is suppressed. And then your child could get severe disease. But first of all, it's very, very rare. Not all children do develop this. Secondarily, it is transient because these antibodies don't last for a long time in contrast to the vaccinal antibodies that disappear uh, after six or eight weeks. Third, the antibody titers are uh, very low, eh? the, the, the antibody titers that they develop as a consequence of the asymptomatic infection. So the suppression is also pretty low. And on top, if your child gets treated and in time, it will perfectly recover and it will develop immunity for the rest of its life. Why is it that some children get reinfected already after six or eight weeks after they got their primary asymptomatic infection? Well, this has to do with a high infection rate of the virus. The virus that is circulating right now that is dominant is highly infectious. And that is the direct consequence of the mass vaccination. With the mass vaccination campaigns, we have selected and we have allowed the virus to adapt, to select more infectious variants and to adapt to the population. That is the reason why the probability now for somebody who got exposed today to get re-exposed already a few weeks later. Remember, that children get severe disease, a few of them, I told you, it's still a rare event that didn't happen at the beginning of the pandemic where the virus wasn't that infectious. So if you are going to vaccinate your children, you are going to turn this transient situation into something that is permanent, that is going to suppress the innate, anti, uh, the innate immune system for a long time that it is not going to be able to be trained or to be educated to recognize all the viruses it should recognize, but instead can even be pushed to recognize components of its own body that suppress, in fact, or that will lead, that will lead to autoreactivity and immune pathology. So the thing that I wanted to say, in fact, is that in contrast to what happens with adults, adolescents who are vaccinated, you hear they are protected against severe disease. Yes, they, the antibodies that they develop do not neutralize either. And they do enhance, they do increase the infectiousness of the virus. But at the same time, in these people, because they don't have the innate antibodies any longer, in these people, they will still prevent severe disease. Whereas in children, these infection-enhancing antibodies, the non-neutralizing antibodies, all they will do is strongly outcompete the innate antibodies so that the immune system at the, the early stages in life cannot be kicked off properly, that it cannot recognize foreign viruses, and that it will recognize self-components. So it will lead to a tremendous storm of acute COVID death. There is no doubt about this. 
and very severe immune pathology. I, I swear you, I have 30 years of vaccine expertise. Uh, this is not a joke. And there is no uh, way that parents can simply accept the very cheap publicity and you know the mainstream message, get your child vaccinated. It is extremely dangerous. What I'm talking about is much more dangerous even than the side effects that people are discussing. So please bear this in mind. I beg you, I really beg you, don't vaccinate your child because in many cases, it will be a death sentence for the child. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are so honored to have here today Geert Vandenbosch. He is a world-class vaccinologist and virologist. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, um, quite a while ago, you predicted that you never vaccinate into a pandemic, and you gave some stark warnings. Can you give us an update on, now that we have over a year and a half's worth of data and epidemiological evidence of the vaccines, uh, can you give us an update on how your predictions have turned out? Well, what we have seen so far is that uh, the virus that is currently the dominant virus in the population is Omicron, which is highly infectious, as we know. And uh, so what we have been doing with this mass vaccination is that without being able to prevent the infection of the virus, we have been putting it under huge pressure by vaccinating large cohorts of the population across all age groups. And uh, so we put a tremendous pressure on the infectiousness of the virus. The virus has overcome this pressure. And that is the reason why we are now seeing that a highly infectious virus, Omicron, with all the variants and subvariants, is basically dominating the scene and is circulating in many, in many highly, in all of the highly vaccinated countries. So that is the first step. You know, the virus has overcome the pressure that we have put on the infectiousness. Right, and when we're talking about the pressure, we're talking about its ability to survive, mutate, so that it can continue. Well, the pressure is in fact the antibodies that are, you know, induced uh, because of the vaccine. So these are the vaccine-induced antibodies that are not capable of preventing the infection. So they cannot prevent the virus from replicating, from transmitting, but they are nevertheless making the virus life difficult. So that is what we call the immune pressure and the pressure is only growing when of course you have all of the population that is contributing to that pressure. And how does that come? That is because you're vaccinating almost all of the population. So everybody's mounting antibodies, but these antibodies cannot prevent the transmission, but will make the virus life difficult, put immune pressure on the virus. That's what, immu what immune pressure is about. So now tell yeah. us about some of the actual harms that have resulted from vaccinating during a pandemic. The problem in general, when you are vaccinating uh, during a pandemic, is that I'm always comparing this by uh, going to the battlefield while your gun is unloaded, while your gun is not charged. So you come, you arrive at the battlefield, so you are already under attack, like we are during a pandemic, exposed or potentially exposed to the pathogen, but we have not our immune response in place. 
So when you go to the battlefield and you then start to load your, your gun or to charge your weapon, then you come too late. So that is when we vaccinate. During a pandemic, we start to mount antibodies. But the antibody response is not already completely mature before you get exposed. Because literally, for example, two days after your first vaccination, you can already get exposed. Because we are in the midst of the pandemic, people are not quarantined after their vaccination. So it takes two, three, four, sometimes six weeks if you need a boost before you have a fully functional immune response. If before that you get exposed to the virus and that likelihood is very high, you come with an immature immune response and that enables the virus to escape to that response. So that is, that is the high risk of uh, vaccinating with vaccines that are not capable of blocking the transmission when you do this during a pandemic. And that is basically continuing because we are vaccinating more and more people. We also intend, you know, to some extent to include the children in those mass vaccination campaigns. So the virus is just continuing to escape the kind of immune pressure that the population through the mass vaccination is putting on the virus. So in essence, governments, public health agencies are prolonging what is called the pandemic. Yeah, well, they are certainly prolonging. You have to know that uh, the uh, natural pandemics that have been documented so far were lasting between eight months and let's say maximum one and a half years. We are already over that, right? So that is one thing. The other thing is, is that the uh, likelihood that we are going to have uh, circulating variants that become not only more infectious but also more dangerous increases. So it's not only the fact of prolonging the pandemic, it's also the real scientific risk that we are going to increase the severity and the losses that this pandemic will bring. This is no longer a natural pandemic. So the likelihood that we are going to have ultimately higher morbidity and higher mortality rates is, 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 is beyond real, I would say. Okay, so in your mind, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Well, I think, uh, I think what happened is that uh, the WHO being, for me, I've experienced this in the past, uh, a bureaucratic organization. And I, I hate to blame people, I hate to blame organizations, but I've no other words than you know, calling this organization completely dysfunctional, they have completely uh, misinterpreted the uh, situation in the sense that they have declared this an emergency, a health emergency of international concern. And if you have like a health emergency of international concern and it is about an infectious disease and you want, because it's a pandemic, uh, to find a solution for, you know, the global world, then, of course, the idea comes of, you know, thinking about vaccines. And the World Health Organization themselves, they cannot produce vaccines. They are financially, logistically, completely dependent on other organizations. Now, which organization can supply vaccines in huge quantities, right? This is Big Pharma. So WHO, by declaring this an emergency of international concern, opened the door to Big Pharma. Now, when you open the door to Big Pharma, you know what you're going to get. It's about enriching the shareholders, of course. So, so, so that, is, that is the reason why all of a sudden 
there is no scientific debate anymore. There is the push, you know, from WHO together with the governments that signed, that signed all the contracts with big, big pharma and that even took over the liability. So there's now this big, big push where the contracts have been paid for, etc., to roll out these mass vaccination campaigns and the science doesn't exist anymore, right? So that is the situation we are in. It has been pushed so far, you know, that, uh, you know, there's no, there's, there's no possibility anymore to, to step back, right? Nobody's going to do this. Uh. So basically what we're looking at is uh, government, public health agencies, the World Health Organizations, all being subsidiaries of Big Pharma. Yeah, and uh, not to forget, not to forget, uh, which is very sad to say, also the, the contribution, unfortunately, of key opinion leaders and uh, certain scientists who are all uh, having conflicts of interest because they are all consultants for these health organizations or they are even having stock options in, in, in the farm industry, etc. So uh, what, uh, what, what is the problem is that we don't have uh, you know, independent scientists that, and the independent scientists that are analyzing the situation, that are understanding the situation, that are fully comprehending the madness of the current situation, uh, most of them don't dare to speak out. Uh, so it's not just big pharma, you know, governments, chaperoned by WHO, it's also key opinion leaders and experts, especially those who have, you know, are world famous, renowned, have their big names, but they're all bound by this kind of, you know, contracts and uh, uh, dependencies on, on, on these uh, agencies, on these stakeholders, and therefore they, uh, they just uh, collaborate and, uh, you know, they play the game. Yeah. So if we speak in plain language, if we speak in legal language, we're looking at crimes against humanity through corrupt uh, organizations that have been co-opted uh, by other corrupt organizations. We're here at the Better Way Conference last day in Bath, England. What would you say is the better way forward? What is the solution to be able to uproot and change these establishments and these practices? Well, to change the establishment, uh, for me, well, there is, there is two, if we talk about solutions, there is, you know, two ways of thinking about this. One thing is, what could we do practically, yeah? Regardless of whether it's going to be possible uh, in the sense of, uh, you know, can be censorship, uh, you know, uh, yeah. There's certain things that governments can prevent us from doing, but the practical organization, uh, the practical solution would be to diminish the infection rate of the virus. So in, uh, in, in very concrete terms, that would, that would simply mean that in highly vaccinated countries, we would need, of course, to stop immediately mass vaccination, certainly not even think about also including our children in these mass vaccination programs and immediately replace these mass vaccination programs by what I call mass antiviral, you know, chemoprophylaxis, so that we prevent, that we, we can get down this, in, in infectivity, this high infectivity rates in the population. So that's a practical solution. No government is going to take that decision, uh, probably. So, but how can, you, how can you change the establishment? How can you make stakeholders change their opinions, their ideas? Frankly speaking, I think, you know, they will continue, they con will continue and they will push it to the extreme. Uh, but the extreme is not that we are going to suffer from their tyranny all the time. The consequence is going to be that we will give the virus the opportunity to end this pandemic. 
of course, in a way that we are going to, be, to pay a big price for this, of course. But this equilibrium that gets established after a natural pandemic, not influenced by human intervention, in one way or the other, nature is going to re-establish it. Of course, we have disturbed it in a very profound way, in a very profound way. And uh, unfortunately, I could explain this, of course, in all scientific details. I'm not going to do this, but it comes down to the fact that the virus, nature will re-establish this equilibrium between the virus and the defense, the immunity of the population, which we call herd immunity. But it will take a, a huge price. It will take, you know, a, a much higher toll than a natural pandemic would take, right? And we can, we see this already because, you know, the pandemic is prolonged. I was just saying it's already, you know, uh, taking more time than a natural pandemic. And what I was telling you is that there is a very high likelihood, personally, I'm completely convinced of that, that, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the virus that will, uh, in fact, ultimately, uh, start to dominate to dominate in the population will become more and more virulent. So, in other words, the losses will be much more substantial in terms of uh, you know causing uh, severity, uh, causing morbidity and mortality rates. Unfortunately, but that is what you know nature will take as a price in order to re-establish that equilibrium. You know between because it's the the immune pressure is exerted by unfortunately. The vaccinated population. Their antibodies are no longer effective, they are non neutralizing. So the virus will, you know, take action in a way that this immune pressure will diminish. And, you know, the population that is exerting this immune pressure is or the vaccinees, unfortunately. I, I, you know, I hate to say this, but there is no way around that the immune status right now of vaccinated, fully vaccinated people is very different from those that are non-vaccinated. The non-vaccinated are not exerting this immune pressure. The vaccinees are in, in, in inducing that or increasing that immune pressure. So either you diminish the infectious pressure, and we can do this through antivirals, but if we don't do this, you know, the other way around, because the both are connected, is to reduce the immune pressure. Reduction of the immune pressure can only take place if you have, for example, a baby boom, because then you have plenty of unvaccinated children. When you have huge immigration from countries that are poorly vaccinated, none of this is going to happen. Or you have a vaccine that can really eliminate the virus. We don't have this type of vaccines right now. So the other solution is, you know, nature will reestablish this equilibrium, but it will take you know, it will take lies from people who are right now exerting high immune pressure on the virus, which is, of course, the vaccinated population, unfortunately. Pressures are being exerted by the vaccinees. They're also compromised immune-wise, correct? Because of the spike protein, because of the lipid nanoparticles, we're seeing immense amounts of damage and harm being done on people's, not only, not only their, their bodies, but in terms of their actual immune response. Yeah, well, what I'm expecting, what I'm always saying, I've, I've, been, I've been sharing this already over a year ago, that what is basically happening is that the uh, vaccine antibodies, the vaccine-induced antibodies, they can outcompete uh, what we call innate antibodies. So the innate antibodies are uh, antibodies that, you know, we have as of from birth, that are uh, very active against all kinds of uh, variants, but that can be easily outcompeted by specific antibodies. 
the antibodies that are induced by the vaccine. So normally, if the vaccine is very efficient, that is fantastic. Because, you know, if these antibodies bind properly, can neutralize, they have memory, they are there for the rest of your life, uh, they do a fantastic job. But right now, what we are saying, saying and seeing, is that these vaccinal antibodies do no longer neutralize the virus, so they are no longer effective, but they can still outcompete innate antibodies. So that means that not only we can no longer rely on the neutralizing antibodies, but also we are kind of like making dysfunctional an innate immune system that would normally provide you know, a large degree of protection, not only to all the variants of SARS-CoV-2, but even to all coronaviruses and even to other viruses like influenza viruses. That is because, you know, the nature of these innate immune uh, uh, antibodies is very different from the specific antibodies. They recognize patterns on viruses, patterns that are shared among several different viruses. For example, corona, for example, influenza, maybe other respiratory viruses. So if we suppress these innate antibodies by dysfunctional vaccinal antibodies, then we are going to see most likely also a dramatic increase in other infectious diseases, like, for example, influenza, etc. That is where probably this, I'm sorry to use this word, but these idiots, these stakeholders are going to say, you know what, what we need is to combine these vaccines against COVID, SARS-CoV-2 with influenza vaccines. You know, because now we see that more and more children, more and more people are getting the flu. So we need to combine this, right? So my fear is that because of the suppression that you were alluding to and that, you know, other infectious diseases will pop up, that so far we're more or less under control, that we will just, you know, increase this, this madness and have more and more push even to combine the current vaccines even with other vaccines against other infectious diseases. Where is the role of natural immunity take place? Will that, you're saying it's basically been disabled now by the vaccines Absolutely. for the vaccines. Uh, are there enough unvaccinated people to, and, and children who haven't been vaccinated to be able to help restore herd immunity, or is that no. a lost cause now? Yeah, so what you need to have to, to, to control a virus like this one, and the same is true for flu, for example, is that you need to have, you know, the famous word, you know, what the major objective of, of all this madness at the beginning has been herd immunity. So herd immunity means that you have uh, a capacity, an immune capacity in the population uh, through a kind of immunity that is able to induce what we call vaccinologist, immunologist, sterilizing immunity that is capable of killing the virus, that is capable of diminishing tremendously the transmission rate in the population. And if there is, you know, enough unvaccinated people who have this kind of immunity, then you can bring down the transmission rate down to a rate that is so low that even people who are not vaccinated, who are not immunized, I should say, by natural infection or that have weak immunity, weak innate immunity because these are elderly people or have underlying diseases, but that you have diminished, thanks to herd immunity that has sterilizing capacity, the transmission rate to a level that is so low that the likelihood that somebody who has weak immunity gets infected with a viral load that is high enough to make that person ill is remote, is, is so low that automatically, thanks to herd immunity, you protect that part of the population that does not have this kind of, you know, immunity. So, but you need a critical mass in order to generate this capacity. If you're like 
only have 10% of the population that remains unvaccinated, you know, then you're not going to achieve this. You're, go you're not going to reach this. So nature is going to need to find another way to increase this 10% of the population to 90%. Of course, if you eliminate an important part of the vaccinated population, then you can increase this part to 70, 60%, that yeah. might be sufficient. That is how it works. I mean, that is not me saying, you know, discriminating vaccinees versus unvaccinated. This is, these are the laws of nature, right? Uh, if you don't have enough herd immunity, this is a general rule that everybody should bear in mind. You can never, ever end a pandemic without generating herd immunity. We can take care of this, you know, by dramatically diminishing the infectious pressure, as I was saying, through antivirus. If we don't do this, nature will take care of this and we'll do it in the way that I was just explaining, right? But without herd immunity, you cannot achieve this. It's as simple as that. Can you talk to us now about this, um, this new emerging threat of monkeypox? Yeah, well, I'm not going to expand too much on this because uh, for me so far it's still pretty mysterious why all of a sudden this pops up in several different countries. We know that monkeypox is uh, a threat. It, uh, I mean, we know it's around. I mean, this is not new. We know that in it's certain just African part of the countries. Pandemic playbook? Pardon? Is this part of the pandemic playbook again? Just to... No, no, no. It has, uh, you know, it, it has popped up a number of times in, in countries. We know it's infectious to humans. We know what the, uh, what the host population is. Uh, but uh, what, is, what is very, very um, strange is that now all of a sudden in several different countries at the same time, uh, even in European countries, in the US, it, it's, uh, there are cases. So where does this come from? has this to do with, you know, I, I tend to not to go to, you know, this kind of uh, conspiracy theories where it would all be intentional, but it might be, it might be that a massive suppression of our innate immune defenses makes us more susceptible to not only being getting infected with something, but that, that this infection is also productive. That means that you can get infected and your uh, immune system can take care of this to an extent that the virus cannot replicate, right? But you got invaded, you got invaded, but it's not a productive infection. So, so the virus is not capable of uh, producing progenic. Uh, you know. But in other cases, of course, if you weaken the immune system, uh, an infection that is not normally productive can all of a sudden become productive. And then, of course, you can have cases of disease. So I think it's, it's way too, too early right now to, uh, you know, speculate on what exactly is going on. But it's all very weird what we are. We are seeing, you know, uh, incidents of a number of infectious diseases uh, going up, even of non-infectious immune-mediated diseases like cancer, for example. Then we see all of a sudden this, uh, you know, monkeypox uh, popping up. So it uh, seems like we are living uh, indeed in a very strange world right now. Uh. So let's finish off with this. Uh, yeah. We've had a great coming together of minds and hearts fighting for uh, medical autonomy, for truth, for transparency. What, what did you take out of the Better Way Conference this weekend? Well, what I take out of the Better Wake uh, Conference is that uh, <clears throat> it becomes extremely, extremely important to build communities. So, and building communities, you cannot build communities based on online contacts. So it, it, it's very, very, uh, very, very important
to meet with people uh, in person, but not only that, also to take initiatives. And practically speaking, uh, my recommendation is to take initiatives that are, you know, very practice oriented, because uh, in all modesty, and you know, uh, I do not rule out that we are going to face, you know, a huge, huge wave where it will be important to generate communities, not just only at an international level, but even at the local, at the regional level. Uh, so we need to have uh, to build communities at different levels, not just locally, but we will need them also locally. What happens if we don't get access to fuel anymore, for example, when we, we, we can no longer buy stuff because supplies uh, got cut off, for example, then you have to be organized locally. But we also need, of course, to take initiatives, you know, like internationally, where uh, we start making plans to reorganize things. And, uh, and therefore, that is uh, a unique opportunity uh, to, to meet with people, you know, like-minded, but it's also very important that um, this doesn't lead to a kind of other mass formation, where we are saying, you know, we are the party against all the others. But the, as uh, Matthias Desmet, a country fellow of mine, describes this much better than I do, it's so important when we build communities to leave the door open for other opinions, you know, for other approaches, that we listen to each other, that it is an exchange at an individual basis, but uh, that is going to be very, very important. That is going you know, to, to be the thing that we need, not only for, you know, to maintain our social equilibrium, but also to act really practically. It's not just about you know, uh, theoretical or, or theories. We will need to, to take practical actions. And uh, uh, I think that is really the, also the, the purpose of this group. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited to hear that there is a lot of good ideas and that it is not just all about theories. I think many people go home with really a lot of courage and uh, a lot of positive perspective in terms of um, how can we be better prepared to what could possibly come uh, in the short term, but also in the longer term. Yeah? That is the, way, the better way. I would say it doesn't say the better way in the short term. It doesn't say the better way in the long term. I think it's both, right? So. I think you, uh, you put that really well. It, in order to move forward, people need to embody the very the very things that they're fighting against, which is censorship, which mm. is the divide and conquer, keeping people away from each other uh, and not having open discord. Mm. We need to be and embody exactly what we are fighting for. And exactly. that includes lending a hand to the other side. Yeah, yeah. I would completely uh, confirm and uh, concur with this. Yeah. Well, Dr. Van den Bosch, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for everything yeah, you're doing. You're very welcome. Okay, thanks. Hey, folks, did you find this content valuable? then please support Bright Light News. We're self-funded and urgently need your help to stay online. Consider donating by texting 243-514 or scanning the QR code or by clicking on the link in the text description and help us keep shining a light on the truth. Thank you.